Thank you for listening to the Road to Nashville podcast, part of the Penalty Box Radio Network. I'm your host, Michael Gallagher. Cutler Klein is doing his college stuff again. So filling in for him today is Jeremy K. Gover of the Nashville Predators Radio Network. This is going to be a little bit of a different show. Normally we talk about what the prospects are doing, you know, who's doing what, who, who's having a good season and stuff. But today we're going to do a little bit of a trade deadline preview. Trade deadline is in about 10 days. Everyone and everyone is is get rid of a defenseman, get rid of a goalie, get rid of Tolvanen. So we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about all this stuff. I know you have a lot of thoughts. And you got a lot you want to say. You actually have a story up on 1025 the game's website where you propose two different trade scenarios. And basically, if this were to happen, the Predators could could get rid of their entire second line now and bring in a totally new one. So let's let's talk about that and talk about what kind of feedback you're getting and and how you came up with these two trades and, and to put it out there. Well, I'm always getting fun feedback. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that's true, and other times that's sarcastic. But I think for this one, it's it's just I don't take any personal uh, feelings about it, about people's feedback on this one in particular, because it's just total out of left field. Um, I was trying to solve something in the car. So basically I was driving to work on Tuesday morning, sitting in I-65 North traffic, <laughs> and uh, so you can imagine how long I had to think about this. And... It just occurred to me, like, well, could the Predators do both? Could they get all three of those guys? Artemi Panarin from Columbus, uh, Stone, and Duchesne from Ottawa. Could they actually do that? And within about three or four seconds, I was like, no, they cannot do that because they would need first-round <laughs> pick for both, and then, right? There's no way. But then I was like, well, wait a minute. What if they got creative? What if they got creative? Poyle has been creative enough before. This is a guy who unloaded Matt Hendricks and three and a half years more of his contract at like two mil, whatever the number was, some ridiculous number, to the Edmonton Oilers for what they thought was going to be a band-aid for Pecorino when he went down with his injury a few years ago for Devin Dubnik. Now, Devin Dubnik, we all know, went to Minnesota eventually and played really well. But while nationally he didn't play well, while he went to Minnesota, he didn't play well. Or Minnesota, excuse me. Montreal that same year didn't do well. So eventually he became the Devin Dubnik we all know now. But at the time... It was a starting goaltender in the National Hockey League. The Predators needed a Band-Aid because Rene was down for the foreseeable future, and they needed, they wanted to bring somebody else in. Now, it also happens that Carter, Carter Hutton caught fire and play all that, but I digress. The point also is, turned Martin E. Ratt into Phil Forsberg. Right, so. right. Martin E. Ratt and Michael Latta into Phil Forsberg. So that he's been creative before, is my point of this entire long story. So I started thinking and dissecting it. And what I came up with after about 45 minutes of thought was, uh, which I won't bore you with, was if they Ottawa needs warm bodies and to get to the salary cap floor next year. Okay. So and the Preds can help them with that. Yeah, the Preds can help them with that. Okay, that's that's bullet point number one. Bullet point number two is for Columbus, they want to win now. Now, they're not going to win the cup, I don't think, unless they keep Bobrovsky in net. But Bobrovsky and Panarin are both pending unrestricted free agents. They don't want to let them walk for nothing. But at the same time... Their franchise in 19 years has never been out of the first round, ever. They're kind of desperate to make some noise, okay? so and They're in that weird spot where they're a playoff contender, but they're also a seller. Right, so it's, so it's, to that point, they're going to want something of value now. They don't want a first-round pick necessarily in 2019 because well, they want a player who can play now. So, okay, so you put all that together in a blender, and this is what I came up with. Uh, to Ottawa would be... Kevin Fiala, Craig Smith, Alexander Carrier, who's a defenseman in Milwaukee, by the way, for those who don't know, uh, the rights to Dante Fabro, who, according to Bob McKenzie of TSN, wants to turn pro as soon as this season is over, and 
a first-round pick in 2019, which is just necessary, right? And talking about Faber wanting to sign, everyone felt he was he was ready to come out last year. So right. if they if they signed him, they would potentially be getting an NHL-ready defenseman right now. Right, and we, and again, we got to keep in mind this is Ottawa. Yeah. Okay, so he could play tomorrow, right? And and he could probably play on their top eight. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, uh, so okay, so that that's the package to Ottawa. Now, would Ottawa would Ottawa reject that trade? We'll get to that in a second. Would Nashville reject the trade? We'll get to that in a second. For Columbus, totally separate deal. A first-round pick in 2020, which means, again, they can afford to wait, but they're still getting a first-round pick, right? And, again, if you're Yarmo Kekalainen in Columbus, the general manager there, and Nashville's going to give you a first-round pick, and you've got your own first-round pick, both for 2020, now all of a sudden you can group those together and trade up in the draft if yeah. you want. So, again, it, it just sets the table. Yes, there's no immediate satisfaction of we're going to get this top prospect, but... Man, is he set up nicely for 2020. And Yarmo's one of those GMs like David Poyle where he makes a move thinking about another move ahead, Correct. not just that's the deal. It's very much a chess game, right? Yeah. So uh, anyway, and then uh, Kyle Turris at his uh, six, well, I guess five years remaining on his contract at $6 million a year. That goes to Columbus. That can help them win now because Turris is obviously a, a viable player. And then uh, Ellie Tolvanen would be, the, of course, the blue chip prospect that goes to Columbus. And of course, he can help them win now. So that one hurts because fans don't hurt. want to get rid of Tolman. Correct. Whatsoever. Right. But. So what what we basically got here is I figured out a way, in theory, to get all three of the big fish as opposed to just one. And so, or you know, it would be a package deal of Tolvin and a first and Fiala maybe and whatever. Nope. I I tried to make it halfway realistic. Now my answer. I did not vote in the poll, by the way, in my own of my own poll. But my answer was, I, if I was Ottawa, I would reject the trade. I would want one more piece, whatever that may look like. Maybe the Preds don't have that. I don't know. I'm just saying, I would, if I was Ottawa, I'd want one more piece. Uh, for the, if I was Columbus, I think that's a fair trade. I think that's a fair trade. You get Tolvanen, who basically, again, in theory, in, in potential theory, replaces Panarin and his goal-scoring ability, okay? And then, of course, Turris helps you win now, and then the first-round pick is just a Again, just a uh, it's a necessary evil this time of year. So that was my whole story that Gallagher was alluding to, and I got a lot of feedback on it. A lot of people that were that were applauding the fact that it was well thought out, which I was very appreciative of. Um, a lot of people that are very much adamant that they do not want anything to do with Panarin unless he's a sign and trade. Which people, uh. people, <laughs> he's not going to be. He's not going to sign anywhere he goes unless it's Florida. Okay, it's come out several times over the past couple weeks, that he wants a no-trade clause in his next contract, of which Nashville does not give and will not give. So it's not he's going to be a pure rental. And the Get reason, over it. The reasoning behind this is because Chicago burned him so bad with just trading him out of the blue. He didn't like that. As a player, he wants to know he controls where he goes. That, that's not going to happen to him again, which is why... Pretty much anyone, like you said, except for Florida, anyone that trades for him, it's going to be a rental. He's he's going to hit. He may you know get traded to the Predators and then realize he's playing here in the playoffs. He wants to sign here sure. after the season, but he's not going to agree to a contract extension at the trade deadline because he's been burned before and he doesn't want to go through that again. Right. So <clears throat> to Gallagher's point, though, also that may happen with Stone or Duchesne as well, as they may they may want an audition, right? Before they decide, like Turris did, which is sure, I'll sign a six-year extension. Now, the problem with that is, if you're David Poyle, you cannot bank on that. You cannot, in your back pocket, be like, well, they'll sign. Because you don't know that. 
It could go horribly wrong. There could be no chemistry. The players could hate Nashville because they want a bigger market. Uh, you know, some guys like the glitz and glamour of New York and L.A. And they you know, could be I mean, taped in the caps. Yeah, and stuff. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean there's just <laughs> everybody's different. So uh, the the sign and trade, uh, while ideal for the team and for the fan base, may not be ideal for the player, and that uh, like it was for Turris. And so uh, I think we have to keep that in mind. So anyway, so I, I really tried to work all that out. I really tried to. You know, I, I tried to not do the um, uh, the bonehead move, uh, for lack of a, uh, a profanity word there, uh, that would send Turris back to Ottawa. Remember, yeah. nobody has an no, nobody has a, nobody has a no trade, right? So, uh, so technically, if Poyle wanted to to get a deal done for Stone or Duchesne or both, he could send Turris back to Ottawa, the place that he didn't want to be at, and that they, and they didn't want to sign him anyway. So he could do that, and they would just be stuck with each other. But I, I feel like he has a lot of more, a lot more integrity than to do that, unless he absolutely has to. I'm not. I'm certainly not saying it's 100. percent He wouldn't do that. I mean, obviously, if he can improve his team, and that's the only way he can do it. Then okay, that's that's what the no that's what the no inclusion of a no trade clause means is that he has the ultimate control. But unless, I just, you're, unless you're Victor Stahlberg, David Poyle is pretty fair to you. Right. Right. So I. So I just think that uh, f- finding another home for tourists would, be, would, do, would do the trick. And I think in this case, it's Columbus because of everything they need and the situation they're in right now. And the two trades that you propose, both of them are, are, are fair to both teams, which rarely, rarely ever does that happen. The, the PK for Shea Weber trade, you could say that. Johansson for, for uh, Seth Jones is probably the... But those are straight-up hockey trades, right? Yes. They're, they're not a future asset-based yeah. trade. And this is a different animal because we're right in the... In the wheelhouse of the trade deadline, and you know Ottawa needs future assets. That's what they need, and so and Columbus doesn't necessarily need that. Yeah. So I really tried to work all that out and put it all together. And David Poyle is known as as the king of fleecing other GMs on a trade, and that's ultimately <laughs> that's what you want to do as a GM. You want to win the trade. You don't want it to be even. You want you want people to look at that trade and say yes, Nashville absolutely won that trade. So yeah, you want like, to get as much yeah. as you possibly can for your team. If the other team, if it works out for the other team, great. Seth Jones is a franchise defenseman at Columbus, and that's wonderful. But the Predators needed a top-line center, yeah. and they got that in Ryan Johansson. So so going going back to that, if, if the, the, the two trades you had, hypothetically, this is all this is for. It's for fun to yeah. think what could be, what could happen. Yeah. If they both work out, you look at Nashville. One, one second. Just, just, I want to stress real quick. The reason this came up is because I thought there was no way in Hades. Yeah. They could pull all three. No inside information from us. Right. This is just us just speculating. Like, you know, hey, if they get one, it's a miracle, right? Yeah. That, that kind of mentality. And then here I was, again, bored uh, in traffic, and I came up with how they could get all three. Within reason now. Obviously, I don't think they can really do that. I'm just saying that one of the things we're forgetting is that if the Predators acquire all three, that means Winnipeg does not get any of the three. Yes. And therefore, they do not improve. And Winnipeg ultimately drives whatever these decisions David Poyle makes Correct. because Winnipeg is going to be who he's got to get through the playoffs. If both of these trades happen, then you look at getting rid of your second line of Terrace, Fiala, and Smith and bringing in a second line of Duchesne, Stone, and Panarin. You couple that with the Jofa line. We talked about this a little bit the other day. I don't think Winnipeg can compete with, with that top six. Right yeah, you're, yeah, the top six. In that, now, here's, here's what I will say. Uh, line A, win on fire. That's a strong win. Win on fire is better than anything sniper-wise that the Predators have in that six. That being said, from front to bottom, all-around play, Nashville's top six in that, if that scenario were to ever come true, which, again, it's a Hail Mary, right? Never way. No way. But still, if it were ever to come true, I think Nashville's top six would be the best in the league. 
Oh, yeah, for sure. And and you mentioned Line A. Last year in the playoffs, the Preds shut him down yes. for that entire series. He had maybe one or two goals, and that was at the very end. And they still and they still advanced. Which, yes, if you're a Predators you fan, dangerous Winnipeg is. right? If you're a Predators fan, that should make you extremely nervous because they didn't even have their one of their big guns, their one of their biggest guns actually firing on all cylinders. They had him struggling. He was in his own head. We saw him throw a couple hissy fits on the bench uh, or after a game heading down the tunnel. Uh, we saw a lot of that. If that's the case. Th- in a series that Winnipeg won, can you imagine if he's click if he's actually firing, yeah. hitting the net, and kind of making things happen like he should? I mean, it's it's not going to be easy for Nashville. There, that's what led me to this whole scenario in the first place. Now, given everything that we just talked about, obviously, the Preds the way they are now, the way they are playing, if something doesn't drastically change, I don't think they get past Winnipeg. I agree. They might not even get past Colorado. Well, I don't know about that. They, I mean, Dallas is really hot right now. It just when you get in the playoffs, you never know. So, given everything we just said, with Panarin, Duchesne, Stone, Wayne Simmons, who's probably not going to come here, but he's still out there, anyone on the trade block, who do you think the Predators need the most? Because obviously, we were just talking about this before, the Predators' power play is struggling. We looked it up, the league worst power play ever in an entire season was a 97-98 by the Lightning, 9.35%. The Predators right now are at 129 So they're they're dangerously close to all-time lows in the power play. Is there one player that fixes that, or, or do you think they need to make a trade to fix the power play, or do you think they need to, they need just another offensive weapon in general? They need another offensive weapon in general because it will help the power play. So it's uh, they need one anyway, even strength, right? So if you put a, a dynamic one, and look, let's be honest here. If Kevin Fiala was pulling his weight this season, we wouldn't need to have this conversation. Oh, yeah. Now, obviously, the team can always upgrade. I'm not saying they, you know, they wouldn't need to. I'm just saying that. Well, I'm saying they wouldn't want to, but they would need to. I mean, I mean right now with Kevin Fiala struggling, uh, Craig Smith, of course, being subject to his other line mates who are also struggling. Turris has been hurt. You can't really fault him per se. Well, they need a dynamic weapon who can finish. They need a guy who can score goals. Mark Stone and Ant- and Artemi Panarin are the two guys that are at the top of the list. I might actually put them in that order, although you can make an argument for both because. It dep- they each bring a different package, right? Like Stone's a more well-rounded player, but probably a little bit of a drop-off score uh, scoring-wise. But he's got speed, though. But he's, right, he's got speed. He's huge, right? Yeah. So, okay, so that that matches up well against Winnipeg. All right, Panarin's but then, then Panarin's more of a finisher yeah. and a more you know and a power play sniper, and then therefore you got so it's you can kind of go whichever way you want, uh, whatever your opinion is. But for me, who do you think costs more though? I, I think Panarin costs more. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, too. I think Panarin costs more because. Of the situation Columbus is in, right? Yeah. They want to win now, and again, I don't foresee them going to like a final. But I mean, when I mean win, I mean win a playoff round. So they want to do that now. If they trade Panarin for whatever a standard package of any kind, uh, they're they're hurting themselves. They're, they're they're discounting their chances to win. And so there is a tempting, there is a temptation in Columbus, I'm sure, and we've heard about it from some of the insiders to keep him, even though they're going to let him walk for nothing because of the fact that they are. A drastically different team without him, and that's that's a fair point. I don't, I don't. That's a uh, as much as I always say. I never envy David Poyle because he you know, he's got tough decisions to make and that kind of thing. I really don't envy Yarmo Kekalainen this year because that, that's a very tough spot. You have your top goaltender, your Vesna Trophy conversation goaltender every year, and your top scorer in Artemi Panarin, both be unrestricted free agents at the same time, but also by the way be like third place in your division. And have never won a playoff round before, right? Like that's yeah. a, that's an extremely volatile situation. 
It's 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 a, it's a no win. It's a yeah. no win situation. He either keeps them and then they, you know, lose in the second round and everyone feels kind of good about it, but then they walk for nothing, or he trades them all and they lose in the first round and then they're back to the, so it's it's it really is a no win situation. And you're and you're you're looking at Panarin, who's a thirty goal, seventy eighty point player. Yes. It, ultimately, if you don't bring that production back, you you, you almost feel like you lose the trade anyway. So I mean. If you take the Predators' offer, if Ellie Tolvin is involved, that's I feel like that's the only really win situation is if he gets someone, a 19, 20-year-old guy, that has shown that he can develop into that 30, 60-point scorer. And there's a lot of potential there, right? I mean, that's the, the, the word potential is dangerous. We talk about with Kevin Fiala all the time. People love to use that word with Kevin Fiala. And I remind people, even though it's not exactly the same, I remind people that another word that uh, another a potential-laden player that the Predators had for way too long, was Colin Wilson. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to go ahead and say my disclaimer here, which is that Colin Wilson's best season, after when he was 28, uh, still is not as good as Kevin Fiala's best season, and he's only 22, right? So I understand that it's not exactly the same. But I'm just, but the, the word potential always was carried around by Colin Wilson. The Predators, I, it, to, it, there's a part of me that thinks that the, uh, when they were one of the finalist teams for Phil Kessel out of Boston, like way back in the day, that Colin Wilson was the breaking point, and the Predators said no because Colin Wilson was involved in the trade. How stupid does that look now? Very. But at the okay. time, it was like, all right, you know, he's first round pick. You know, he's got all this potential. Is that potential word? They carried, they held on to him for too long. They finally let him go to Colorado for almost nothing, and everyone is happier. But <laughs> still. What, I, what I'm worried about is that Fiala hovers around that 45-50 point, which is no slouch, by the way. But if he if we're saying the word potential around a 45-50 point guy, that means 70 points. And if you're going to hold on to, to Fiala and not make a trade that's going to improve your team overnight because you're worried about his potential and it never materializes, you might be in a Colin Wilson situation in 2022. And this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but I feel like I have seen nothing from Kevin Fiala this year to show that he's taking the next step. I feel like he might have peaked last year. I think last year might have been his best season unless he gets a change of scenery and, and gets, a, gets a fresh start. But I feel like this year he's just struggling. I don't, I don't know what it is. He, everyone expected him to take that next step forward. Forsberg was going to be a 40-goal scorer. He was going to be a th- Fiala was going to be a 30-goal scorer. He's – it's – He's not playing terrible, but he's not playing how you want him to. And the analytics guys love him. He putt possession, carrying into the zone. He's he's got bad turnovers. He's not putting up the goals. He can't gel with anyone. He can't stick on a line is his problem. So, like you said, you you run into that that murky water of holding on to him for potential win. If you can trade him and flip him now in a trade and bring back a player that can help you in a cup run this year, you have to do it. I I, I completely agree, and it's not a it's not a Fiala hate thing. I I, I would love to see Fiala. Uh, if, if, if it truly is a slump, like you just said, if it's truly like just this kind of weird thing, like if he didn't peak last year, but it's kind of like that's more of what he is, his last year's stats, and this year he just hasn't got off the ground, I would love to see him come back next year and yeah, be like, absolutely. oh, okay, great, Never 55, 60-point yeah. guy, that's great. Like that's, you found your spot, now we know what he is, all that stuff. But right now, when your team, when you, when your team doesn't have a whole lot of organizational depth beyond Tolvanen and Fabro, and that's about it, because let's face it, Patrick Harper... Boston University hasn't done a whole lot this season when, it, when it, that would, big things were expected of him yeah. based on last season. So, you know, if you've got Tolvin and Fabro and that's it, your well is dry after those two guys, well, you start looking at the NHL roster and you start thinking, who can the Predators do without? And right now, sorry, breaking news, guys, Kevin Fiala, they can do without. 
And and you also have someone like Freddie Gaudreau, who's who's not a prospect, but he's he's also not an NHL player. He's in that weird in between too. He could be a throw in on any of these deals. Yeah. Remember, I said, remember I said Ottawa would uh, probably, in my opinion, Ottawa would reject that trade that I proposed. He might be the other he might yeah he might you might throw him in. Okay, now there's another NHL player who I mean because you know he can play in the NHL right now, yeah. just not on a team as talented as Nashville, right? Well, then guess what? Ottawa fits the bill for that. So maybe you throw Goudreau in, and it looks like a lot on paper. There's a lot of names for two guys down there, but. Uh, that that's that's a that's a possibility too as well. Just find him a new home. And another thing that people don't really want to talk about, and it's 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 nothing against Kyle Turris. He's not working out as a number two center in Nashville. Right, and you can't fault the guy for being hurt. Okay, yeah. the guy had a he had a walking boot on for I don't know how a month and a half. I'm, yeah. ball, I'm ballparking that, but it, it, he had a walking boot on. Well, guess what? He had a walking. It means he can't skate. Mm-hmm. So therefore, he's not in shape right now. You have to hope that that means fresh legs come April, okay? And then he's he finds his groove again, and he's it's a completely opposite experience from last year's playoff run that he had, which was disappointing after a really good regular season. So no, there's nothing against Turris on this. It's just that okay, that's a is that contract going to start looking bad? Five years left on it, six million a year. Do the Predators want to unload that now while they can? Because if it if next year he's having some serious injury trouble again, now you start thinking, oh boy, like is he just injury prone? I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. You're not giving away garbage here. Turris is a guy that Columbus can use right now in in my scenario. He could be a top six forward. For yeah, him. absolutely, absolutely could. Healthy. And he's, he provides center depth for them. Alex Venberg is not doing anything for them after a really good season a couple years ago, fifty points. Well, they're like, well, he's not doing it. Well, guess what? Now you've just immediately upgraded Alexander Vinberg. So yeah. it's it's he can help them if we're just using Columbus as an example. So there's nothing against Turris. I'm not I'm not against him at all. I thought he was a great piece when they acquired him. That was awesome. The issue is just it's starting to look like is this going to be a bad contract? And if you start to have those thoughts and conversations, you might need to use him in a piece to kind of rid yourself of that headache. And it's not even anything where like you're looking to get rid of him, but like you said, they're their prospect depth outside of Fabro and Tolman is so bad, you have to give up a roster player right. of Terrace's caliber to get anything back in a trade because Emil Petrosian was probably their third best prospect, him and, and Frederick Allard. And you get rid of him for two depth players in, in Milwaukee. So, I mean, you're not really dealing from a well of really de- like deep talent or anything, but you, you look at that and you you have to compensate for that somehow in trades. And, and Terrace is one of those guys that just becomes a victim of it if, if that were to happen. And you'll notice I did not put Allard in any of the trade scenarios, and that's because I like him too much. I think I think he's an under-the-radar, solid prospect, right? I mean, he's a, he could play on their third pairing, Nashville's third pairing, uh, depending on what they do with Yannick Weber, because I could see them bringing back Weber for one more year, I guess. He's one he, of those guys that could develop into another material. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah he's, but his leadership qualities are ridiculous. I, 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 he really left an impression on me at his, in his draft year. I believe it was in Buffalo. Don't quote me on that. But uh, I asked him, um, uh, you know, when he, when he got drafted, I, I, uh, something about, you know, did you expect to go at this at this time, right? Were you too early? Were you too, you know, were you too late? Like, how did you kind of view it? And uh, he said, and I, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something to the effect of, in a really great French accent, by the way, he said, um, uh, "I'm just happy Nashville picked me. I'm going to make sure they don't regret it." And I was like, "Oh, I see you!" Like it was just like it's really. I was like, oh, "I like this guy." Him. Yeah. So you know, so I, I, so yes, there's a bit of a, per, there's a bit of a personal moment there that I don't want to see him go. But at the same time, 
he is stepping up and being one of their best defensemen this season, Milwaukee's best defenseman. And so I think, and because his name isn't really out there and floated very much, I think he could maybe take the place of Fabro on that list of top defensive prospects if they were to jettison Fabro, who has a lot more buzz around him, by the way. And, and kudos to the the Admirals, the Predators, David Poyle, because he's a really well-kept secret. He's a really good defenseman. Yes. Watching him in development camp and then in rookie camp, what impressed me from last year to this year is his shot. His shot has gotten drastically better in one year. He's more accurate with it. He gets it on the net more often than he did last year. And you feel like he's really coming into his own as an offensive defenseman this year. He would be their top defenseman in, uh, in, in Milwaukee right now, w- without question, if they hadn't assigned free agent Matt Donovan in the offseason. And Alex Carrier has a little bit more hype. So they're, they're, they're pushing And Carrier's Carrier. played in the NHL. Yeah, they're right. pushing Carrier as the top defenseman. Him and Matt Donovan have played really well together. Yeah, and, and by the way, Carrier, for those who don't remember, he played one game. I believe it was in Vancouver uh, last year or maybe the year before. I can't remember which one, but uh, he played one game in the NHL level, and he was I think I think he was an even rating. He he was not a liability in like a one nothing loss. Yeah. And so it's his first NHL game. He probably shouldn't even have been there, but they, it was an emergency situation. And he did fine. And he did fine. Yeah. So so that that's what I mean when I when I put I put him in there into the trade scenarios. I'm thinking, okay, look, he's 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 one of their top end defensive prospects. He's played in the NHL. Yes, it's 21. one game, but he's still 21. But he's still played in the NHL, and he was not a liability in his first ever game. And remember, that's a Vancouver team. That's not this year's Vancouver team. That's a Vancouver team with the Sedins. So if he cannot be a liability in his first ever game, that's pretty impressive. And that's why I'm kind of banking on him being a trade piece. And something else I feel is worth talking about, because it's really interesting that everyone in Nashville freaks out anytime you mention Dante Fabro. And then Bob McKenzie on, on the TSN Insiders said that he was told – Dante Fabro wants to turn pro after his season at, Bo- at Boston University ends this year. Right. That's an interesting dynamic because everyone, I know all of us have been talking about it. We felt like he was going to end up leaving next year because there's just no room for him on the top four, and he, he might not want to develop there. But now we're hearing he wants to sign with Nashville. That kind of changes everything. We know how much David Poyle loves defensemen. If he thinks in his mind Dante Fabro signing here, do we think that he holds on to Fabro and is more likely to trade Tolvin in there? That's a great question. I, I haven't thought about it like that. Um, I thought about it like this. Let me give you my history of Fabro. So the I, I was one of the few people who would would constantly say we don't know that Fabro is not going to sign here, and because and everyone's looking through the Jimmy Vesey lens, the 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 recent history of Jimmy Vesey not signing after going through Harvard and uh, and then going to the New York Rangers, of course. And everybody being pissed off about that. So everyone thought, okay, well, Fabro hasn't signed yet. You know, what are they going to do? They got, you know, it's another, it's another VZ. I can't tell you how many times I saw that on Twitter. That's, yeah, he's another VZ. No, he's not. You have one conversation with this kid. You know he's not Jimmy VZ. Right. So Fabro, and, and we gave the, and Gallagher and I actually sat here on this very podcast, I believe, right at the beginning of the season, reinforcing and trying to remember, or trying to remember, trying to force people's memory that Boston University had a shot at a national championship this year. They still do. Right. So why would you want to why would you leave unless you wanted to be a pro so badly? If you if you are fine with it and you're comfortable with your college and you love the college experience and you have a chance for a national championship, why would you turn pro and play in the AHL for however long? So, I don't fault him at all for going back to school. Uh, so okay, so that being said, um, it is big. That Fabro, because it was he was a throw-in in any of my scenarios for a while, because I'm like, well, look, the Preds can rid themselves of that headache in case he doesn't sign, and then you know, but but he didn't have a whole lot of value because again, he could easily be, his rights could be traded, and he could just say I'm not going to sign, and then he goes to the free agent, and then a team has missed out on their on their blue chip prospect. 
But now that McKenzie is, has come out and said on several occasions, by the way, on uh, in, on on insiders that he is looking to turn pro as soon as the season's over, that changes everything. Now Poyle has a blue chip prospect on defense that he can then dangle if, say, Ottawa would like to build like another Seth Jones in Columbus. If you want, they want to build around a, a possible franchise defenseman. Now you've got Fabro. If they say no, 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 we really want a sniper. Now he's got Tolvin, right? So it gives him options. Whereas before, it was probably not a throw-in, but it was probably a, a you know like a well, he may not sign anyway, so let's go ahead and get rid of him. Now it's a no, no. He's now he's a true trade chip, and I think that's very exciting if you're a Predators fan. And you look at Fabro, he's really, he's he's taken another step forward in his development this year as opposed to last year. He was named co-captain of BU. And he's, he's Which is no small leading, honor, by the way. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're a talented team. And a storied program. And he's their second leading scorer as a defenseman. He's got 23 points in 27 games. He's almost a point-per-game player on a national championship contending team in, in the NCAA. And he's outscoring guys like Shane Bowers and Bobo Carpenter and Patrick Harper. These... Bobo Carpenter is one of the, the top scorers in the in the NCAA period. Shane Bowers is a highly regarded prospect that was traded to to Ottawa as part of that that uh, Matthew Shane deal. Patrick Harper's had a lot of hype. He's he's been dealing with some some health issues and staying healthy and stuff. But a, as a defenseman, you're the second leading scorer on a national contender team in college hockey. That's that's pretty impressive. So in you couple that with if if he has told David Poyle, and again David Poyle could be saying, hey. Fabro's going to sign here to drive up the price because it's like, oh, well, if he's going to sign, it's a sure thing. His trade value goes up as opposed to his, you don't know if he's going to sign. Right. Remember, again, remember, Poyle's job is to sell right, to sell his agenda. So he could be feeding Bob McKenzie that. Now, he, well, let me start with this. He could be feeding Bob McKenzie that, well, Fabro told me he wanted to sign, and now McKenzie then reports it as, oh, I have a source that says yeah. he's there. There is that. But I would remind you that McKenzie is no slouch. He is going to check. He's going to second. He's going to second guess and triple check that report. He will then go to BU or some sort of camp, whether it be Fabro himself or a family member or whatever, a coach, whatever it may be. He will find another source to corroborate that uh, that information that he got. And if he's going on national television in Canada saying he's ready to sign, I believe he's ready to sign. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, I want to make sure that, that was said. So, so let's just say. Boston, you know, gets eliminated early. They they don't make the NCAA tournament. They're they're out. Come Stanley Cup playoff time, the Preds make it. Dante Fabro signs. How big of a boost do we think he can be on that that bottom pairing? Because let's let's be honest, Yannick Weber has has been better this year. Yep. Matt Irwin struggled. Um, Dan Hamius has struggled. They got rid of Anthony Potato. Do you think he could potentially give a boost to that third pairing defense? I don't know about that. Uh, I don't know if he's quite ready. For prime time. That being said, Dante Fabro does lead Boston University with power play goals of four, um, so that's pretty impressive. But uh, I just don't know in a true Stanley Cup run, which is what the Predators think they have, if they can give if they can turn over the reins like Boston did with who was it? McAvoy, Charlie McAvoy. Charlie McAvoy. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they, they went right into the playoffs with the, <laughs> with the recent college uh, player that they signed, and I think he played like the next night or something, and he played all through the playoffs and, and he did, did well. And did well. He did, did. He was he was my Calder pick for the next season. He did that well in the playoffs. So 
Um, and he didn't win the Calder, but that's not the point. The point is that he didn't. He wasn't a liability. He played well. On or it a, could be like Chris Kreider with the Rangers. You do that right out of college, then you struggle really, really bad. In right, the right. And, and so what I would like to see, and I don't know if they have time for this, but I would like to see if the Predators are what like a lot of us think they are. They're kind of locked into that second spot in the Central. Now they could catch Winnipeg, okay, but let's be let's be real, okay. Winnipeg's probably going to win the Central, and look at the gap between two and three. Nashville's probably going to take second. So if that's the case, and come April 1st when they've got three games left, that's when I'd like to see Fabro have his little audition. I'd like to see him get into the third pairing in those last kind of few games where it doesn't matter. They're not going to change their position in the standings at all, and he can they can see what they have, and then they can make that call. And the last thing I kind of want to touch on here is with the, with the trade proposals we had in your story and, and talking about what, what all it's going to cost. David Poyle and the Predators are in win-now mode. So, yeah, it would hurt losing Ellie Tolvanen and watching him go on to become a 30-goal scorer. But ultimately, how much does that, that hurt less if you win a Stanley Cup this year? If you, if you go all in... It doesn't you, hurt at all if you yeah, win a Stanley Cup this yeah. year. If you go all in and you lose Fabro and Tolvanen and you lose two first-round picks, yeah, that sucks. And your, your prospect pool is garbage. Dry, right. it's, it's terrible. But if you beat Winnipeg and you win a Stanley Cup and you achieve everything you wanted to this year, it, it's worth that. And I don't I don't think people, when they look at these trades, they, they just see what you're losing and not what you're gaining. Which is the complete opposite, by the way, of like what it was 10 years ago, right? When ten, when fans were like, it was like, just who cares? Like, you know, they, they didn't know who the prospects were. They didn't understand the nuances of the game and, and all that. So it's, it's actually a very interesting pendulum swing uh, for Nashville fans. Uh, I'm not, this is not everybody. Not a blanket statement, by the way. This is just what we see on Twitter from some people. Is that a lot of people are supercharged about not letting go of future assets, and whereas ten years ago it was the exact opposite. It was who are these assets? Who cares? Do what you have to do. So it's just very interesting. But anyway, so to Gallagher's point, um, if the Predators win a Stanley Cup, no matter what they gave up, uh, it's a it it doesn't it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they they could have given up the entire farm. They could have traded the entire Milwaukee Admirals roster if they won the Stanley Cup. Who cares? You find another AHL team to, in the offseason and call it a day. You, like It's all worth it. Now, that being said, they're one. There's no guarantee that if they make any of these trades at all or no trades at all, they're going to win the Stanley Cup. There's no guarantee of that at all. Secondly, um, you all you can do is set yourself up for success if you're, the, if you're any team, really. So if David Poyle looks at Artemi Panarin and says, this is the best sniper available and we need a sniper we need a finisher on the second power play unit and the second line i have to make this trade because it gives us the best opportunity to win then okay i mean you, you just have to you got to trust it and that's just how it is that's what he thinks it is they're smart men and, and women that are in that front office and they're gonna you know they're, they're gonna make the best call possible um there was a time if you remember gallagher about four or five years ago maybe five years ago when uh, everyone thought Poyle was too conservative Oh, yeah. He's heard that a lot. He's too conservative. He's afraid and to make the big trade. Afraid, yeah, afraid <laughs> to make the big trade. He'll never pull the trigger on a trade this big. Heard that all the time. And since the Johansson deal, I'd say, uh, an annual thing when you watch these trade deadline shows is, well, David Poyle's never, yeah. he's never <laughs> shy of making the big trade. So it's just, <laughs> it's just really funny to me. But uh, it's very much a ha- what have you done for me lately uh, scenario. But anyway, so uh, to me, it's just a, you know, Poyle is going to make the best call he can, but I think there is something to be said for the fact that he turns 69 soon. He's getting older. How much longer does he want to do this? Um, 
I, I do I do think there's a lot of pressure on him to win now, and that's not even mentioning the fact that Pecorine uh, is you know is, is how old he is right now and has two years left on his or I think it's three years left I guess yeah. three years left on his deal and he can retire at any time basically. David like, Poyle's also got a lot of friends that are general managers, and right. most of those friends have Stanley Cups. He's got to not like the fact that his, he's one of the few that doesn't. The people that he mentored have Stanley Cups. Yeah. Shiro in New Jersey, he mentored Shiro. Ray Shiro in New Jersey. He was, the, he was the assistant general manager for the Predators since day one, I believe, and then he left and won himself a cup in Pittsburgh. It's just, you know, it's got to be... I'm not saying he thinks about it every day, but I'm saying that, you know, it's got to be become a thing at some point that all these people around him have cups and he does not have one, yet he's the all-time winningest general manager in National Hockey League history. It's almost shocking to think that that's possible to be right. the all-time winningest GM and not have a Stanley Cup. You know what that reminds me of? Quick tangent. Dave Anderchuk. Dave Anderchuk was the longest tenured player to not win a cup. I don't know if it was NHL history, but de- it was definitely active NHL player. When, when he won one in his last game ever, uh, he retired with a Stanley Cup in his hand in Tampa. And it was that's what it kind of reminds me of, is that he just he played it's a Hall of Fame career. He played 20, I don't, I don't have the stats in front of me, but it, was like, it seemed like 20 years, maybe it wasn't even 20 years. He never won a cup. And then he got one in his last game, right? So it does kind of remind me of that. As Poyle's been around for literally ever, because his dad was the GM before he was, and then he, but he hasn't won one. And it, it would be very fitting to see him go out on top if, in case, if in fact that's what he wants to do. And it's almost unfathomable that he has a, a team this talented, like he has the last two or three years, and they haven't been able to get that in the Stanley Cup. I mean, you're talking about Forsberg, Arvidsson, Johansson, your top line. You almost feel like that would be enough to get you to a conference final, at least them alone, with 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 the goaltender. Yeah, let alone the top four defense, yeah. right? So, uh, and then and then right, your goaltender arena. Yeah, and then you know the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day uh, in seventeen when they went. Obviously, the hockey gods want you know wanted Pittsburgh to have the cup. That's very mm-hmm. obvious. But if you go back and think about how close they truly were, they were way closer than a one than a two nothing game six loss. I mean, they were. I mean. You talk about a, a uh, in, in game one they actually scored the first goal, but it was reviewed and it was deemed offside. That got wiped out. They went um, they went was it a period and a half for the first time in NHL history without allowing a shot on goal, and then they got rattled by the review or whatever whatever the case was, and they allowed three goals in like five minutes, right? And then they then they started playing again and they almost won that game. Um, Game two, they got whooped, right? But then game three, they came back in, in Nashville. They won games three and four in Nashville. And you're thinking, all right, now this is game one all over again. Like, there's, it's an even series. And then, you know, in game six, Colton Sisson scores first, but it's waved off because it was a quick whistle. I mean, there are so many examples. And remember, Patrick Hornfist scored with like a minute left to make it one nothing, and they got the empty netter. They didn't mean anything to make it 2 nothing. And win. doing all that without Ryan Johansson and Kevin Right, and Ryan Johansson, I, yeah, was, yeah. So it's, if they played, I feel like the Predators would have won. I, I agree. Like I that. totally agree. And I, I felt that at the time as well. Yeah. So, yeah, so you just got to understand, like, it's just, it, it's so tough to think about how Poyle doesn't have a cup, but at the same time, you're like, man, he really was close that year. Like, that, it was so much closer than a 2 nothing loss in Game 6 because there were so many different circumstances. And I don't know what that heartbreak was like. Oh, yeah. To know that, yes, you got to the final and you lost. Okay, that's hard. That's heartbreaking enough, I mean, you, especially when you've been waiting as long as David Boyle. But to know that you scored first in a, in a goal that should have counted in game one, and you know that you uh, your defense just locked it down against one of the most offensive, potent teams in recent history 
for that period and a half stretch in Pittsburgh in game one. And to know that Colton Sisson scored, but it was disallowed. Like all those different things. I don't even, I can't even imagine what that feels like to You're have two lost. You're blown calls away there from you winning right. the Stanley Cup. Right. That's if, how close if, it was. If any one of those goes your way, you probably, it changes the entire narrative of the series, that's for sure. With Colton Sissons as your first line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Nothing against Colton Sissons. Right, and, and yeah, and, and again, Gallagher keeps mentioning, I keep forgetting, the injuries. So there's that too. So it's I can't even imagine what the heartbreak was like for that. It's just got to be super, super tough. And I do hope. Whether Gallagher and I are still around to cover it or not, I do hope he wins a cup someday because he deserves it. Oh yeah, he, he's just a great human being, and he's one of those people. As as journalists, where we try to be as unbiased as we can be, but you ultimately anyone will root for David Poyle just because of, of how his career has played out and how much he gives back to the sport of hockey. In yeah, general. I agree. And he's he's a USA Hockey Hall of Famer. He should be once he retires a Hockey Hall of Famer. He doesn't need to retire for that. I'm just saying he probably will be recognized at that point. As a hockey hall of famer, um, he's he just, he's got one thing missing, and that's a that's a Stanley Cup. I hope he gets that. And last thing here, real quick, ten days away from the trade trade deadline when February twenty fifth comes, do we think the Predators pull someone pull someone into the into the fold here? And if so, if you had to venture a guess, who do you think if they if they got one person, you think it would be? Well, I'll answer that several ways. The first way is who I want them to get, who I think that is the truly the best fit. And they're the most exciting, and that's Mark Stone. If they can get Mark Stone out of Ottawa, that's the number one uh, for me. The 1B, because, again, we mentioned earlier in the podcast, if you've made it this long, you, you do remember, uh, that uh, that Panarin offers different things, different qualities than Stone does, right? So the 1B would be Panarin. I think if you can get Panarin, that's a big win as well. Uh, I don't know, though, and this is why he's my 1B slash 2, is because I don't know if Panarin alone is enough. I do think Stone is enough because he, again, well, more well-rounded. He can bring he brings out the best of the other players. Uh, Turris and him have played together before. I don't know if they've been on the same line or not, but they've played together before. They're familiar with one another. He's so, someone you could bring in that could potentially, if you keep Fiala, he could get Fiala going. He right. could get Turris going. Exactly, and he's gonna he's gonna be an impact player in the power play, and he's a big body who does not shy away from physicality when you play Winnipeg. So there's a lot of a lot of things that go into that. Try not to use word intangibles, but I will. A lot of intangibles that go along with Mark Stone, let alone the production. That he provides. So Stone would be number one, Panera number two, Duchesne number three. He'd have to play wing. I don't really know if I'm excited about that, to be honest. He's having a hell of a season, don't get me wrong. But he never excited me in Colorado either. When they when Colorado came, you know, there are all these rumblings about how Duchesne's available and Landeskog's available. I was the only one in the Preds media that I can remember that consistently said, Screw Duchesne, go get Landis Cog. Think of Landis Cog and Forsberg together. Holy criminy. Now, that was before the Jofa line was a thing. Yeah. Right. But I'm just saying, like, it was just like, wow, like, you know, dreams of Landis Cog and Forsberg going, was it made? And of course, now, of course, Landis Cog's blowing it up, right? So, uh, to me, that would be the order. And I got to be honest, Gallagher, I don't know if I can totally see them swinging for the fences and getting stoned. I can totally see them swinging for the fences again in Panarin. I can totally see them finally bridging that long-rumored relationship of Duchesne and Nashville. I can totally see all three of those things individually happening. But I'm after this team has played the way it has the last probably last couple weeks or so, I could also see them saying, look, we need to be conservative here. We can't sell the farm. Uh, we can't give up Tolvin and Fabro. We will give up the first-round pick, and they're going to go out and get Gustav Nyquist. Or they're going to go, you know, say, or, or Matt yeah. Zuccarello out of, or Chris Kreider out of New York. Like I could see 
It's not a lateral move, don't get me wrong. But I could see a move that's not as sexy as the top three. Yeah. I could see that. But I would also argue that I don't think that's enough. So then why do it at all? Exactly. So it's just a, you know, if, now if you can get Gustav Nyquist out of Detroit for, I'm making this up on the spot, a third round pick and, uh, and Fabro, you know, where it's a, it is a top prospect that they get something out of, but then it's a third round pick. You kind of protect that first rounder, right? If you get, because that is the price of keeping your first rounder is getting an asset, right? Yeah. So if, if they can kind of get Nyquist or, or Kreider out of their places for one of the, then maybe that's okay. Uh, but if you're going to spend that first round pick, boy, it better be it better be a home run. Because again, because of the situation the Predators are in, they've got Fabro and Tolvin, and that's it. They got nothing else. Literally, that's it. Right. So Frederick Allard will be there in, in a year or two. Right. But he's not right now. Right. So you need that first round pick if you're not going to go for it. If you're going to go for it, fine. I mean, that's the price of doing business. But if you're going to go lower, a Kreider, a Zuccarello, um, a, a Nyquist, you're going to. I would love to see them keep that first. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for listening. Hopefully, you took something away from this. I know we threw a lot of hypo- hypotheticals at you, but this is a, so this time of year's yeah, for baby. It's just everyone's an armchair GM. We we just wanted to let you know who's out there, potentially what kind of packages it would cost to get them, how it impacts the system, would it make sense for both teams, what, how would it make sense for the Predators. Hopefully, if you didn't know about Dante Fabro wanting to sign, I didn't know until you told me. So, if hopefully you learned something from it, um, who knows? I mean, tomorrow David Boyle could go out and trade Ellie Tolvin in for. Sydney Crosby. Well, that's why, that's why I actually had to get my piece up as soon as possible on thegamenational.com about my trade scenario. Because I was like, man, if I, if I you know, I'm, if you don't get them now, let me, let me proofread this. I'm going to send it to Bradford. You know, he can kind of look over it, make sure I'm not doing anything stupid. You know, whatever. if I do that, he's going to, all of a sudden it's going to go to hell because the trade will be blown up because it'll be go somewhere else. So I had to get it up as soon as possible. So same thing with this. Like, right, hopefully we got something to talk about here in a couple of days. But. Yeah, this is all just for fun. This is just to give us stuff to talk about until yep. the trades actually go down. That's if you right. haven't read his piece, go to 1025 The Game and check it out. It's called Hypothetical Cinema. He go, goes in depth, put a lot of research into it. It's, it's really good. Even if none of it ever happens, it's yep. just fun to talk about. It is, yeah, this time of year it's just fun to talk about. And hopefully you guys took something from this podcast. Thank you for listening.